You are listening to the Journal of Rheumatology's Editor's Picks with Dr. Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief. Hello again. This is Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Rheumatology, welcoming you to the October 2022 edition of Editor's Picks. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. This month, we will begin with speaking to Drs. Bent Glintborg and Mariette Hetland, who will be reviewing the major findings of their paper entitled Long-Term Behavioral Changes During the COVID-19 Pandemic and the Impact of Vaccination in Patients with Inflammatory Rheumatic Diseases. What were the major findings of the study that you'd like to share? Uh, I think, oh, is, oh, I thought it was humorating, but that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was of interest to us to understand these levels of, uh, especially anxiety and the tendency to self-isolate. We had different phrasing of these questions. For instance, do you attempt to self-isolate more than persons your own age? And what we saw that it was up to nearly 50% of the patients that had anxiety and reported tendency to self-isolate. And what surprised us a little bit was that it tended to be, it was of course highest in the beginning uh, during or immediately after the lockdown period in June uh, 2020, but also during the period when we had the vaccinations, those levels of self-reported anxiety seemed to be quite high. And then uh, we did, of course, we did not have a control group. We only had rheumatoid patients in the survey, but what we did was then to compare within uh, the arthritis patients to understand if some characteristics of the patients uh, affected this um, tendency to self-isolate or report it. And we saw that especially women and the patients that were treated by, with biologicals and the patients that had um, poor self-reported health were the ones that tended to self-isolate the most. Um, yeah, so I think those were a little bit of a surprise and also of interest is perhaps to say that we performed the survey when the vaccines were coming out they were introduced on the market and in the beginning there was some scarceness there were not vaccines for everybody but we saw very very high acceptance rates the patients that were offered it depended on age the elderly were offered the vaccines first they nearly all accepted to to get the vaccine so we didn't report any high levels of skepticism towards the vaccines of the COVID. And also we asked the patient, what about influenza vaccines? It's well known that our patients should. Uh, it's a good advice to take the influenza vaccines. And we can also see that the tendency to accept the vaccination for influenza also increased in uh, 2021 compared to 2020 before the pandemic started. Anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I was just thinking that that this our findings with high self-isolation and sort of anxious strategies, I think was very much also reflected in our clinical experience with the patients where we, for the first many months, it was surprising to hear from all patients that no, they hadn't, um, they hadn't contracted the infection. Uh, and, and then we, under, we began to understand when we saw how they isolated themselves. So they actually, they didn't go out, they didn't go shopping, they didn't use public transportation. 
they just stayed at home and sort of got everything delivered by the door. And then, of course, you don't contract the virus, but you suffer from feeling lonely and being depressed and don't getting your exercise, et cetera, et cetera. So it has had a huge impact uh, on our patients with arthritis uh, that we've had this pandemic. And we were quite surprised to see how this behavior somehow stuck with the patients, even at a time where we had the vaccination and where we had new variants that were much less um, contagious, they were more contagious, but they were less severe than the initial versions. So, 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 so we think that is a surprising and important finding. I found it fascinating that, but I guess in many ways, not surprising that the vaccine didn't really alter the anxiety and behaviors. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're anxious and you're worried because you have a chronic illness, it appears to be that across illnesses, that's what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. And just one thing, just for the audience again, um, Denmark had the mRNA vaccine was that most of patients? Yes, yes, yes. We had, I think 90% of patients got the Pfizer vaccine and the last 10% got the... Um, Moderna. Moderna. Yeah, the Moderna, yes. Yeah, that yeah. Was, it was, was, and again, just as in Canada, the AstraZeneca, you almost didn't use it all, correct? Yeah, that's true. Okay. I hope you enjoyed listening to Drs. Glintberg and Hetland review the findings of their study, Long-Term Behavioral Changes During the COVID-19 Pandemic and the Impact of Vaccination in Patients with Inflammatory Rheumatic Diseases, and that you will listen to the complete interview I had with the authors of the paper and read the full-length article, which is currently available on our website at www.jroom.org. First paper to highlight this month is entitled Canadian Rheumatology Association Living Guidelines for the, Man for the Pharmacological Management of Rheumatoid Arthritis with Disease-Modifying Anti-Rheumatic Drugs and is by Hazelwood and colleagues on behalf of the Canadian Rheumatology Association. Aim of this study was to provide up continually updated guidance on the pharmacological management of patients with rheumatoid arthritis in Canada. Uh, these are living guidelines. They will be updated on a regular basis as new information is available. And they'll provide evidence summaries and evidence for the decisions of the summaries will be available online. Back to the article. The major finding was that for RA patients with sustained low disease activity or remission for at least six months, the recommendation is a stepwise reduction in the dose of biologic or traditional DMARD therapy without discontinuation. This decision should be a shared decision with the patient and physician, and patients must have access to rheumatology care and medication changes must be easily available as needed. The authors have devised a patient decision aid to complement the recommendation. This aid can be found in the paper. In an accompanying editorial entitled From Canadian Living Guidelines to Global Living Guidelines, a Post-Pandemic Effect, Columega and Weinblatt, outlined for the readership why living guidelines are important 
and how they were developed, as well as reviewing findings and putting them into a global context. Please read this article and the accompanying editorial to get further details on the guidelines as well as the patient aid. Stay tuned for further updates. The second article to highlight is entitled Simplified Ankylosing Spondylitis Disease Activity Score, SASTAS versus ASTAS, a post-hoc analysis of a randomized controlled trial and is by Schneeberger and colleagues. The aim of this study was to determine how the CRP version of the simplified axial spondylitis disease activity, or SASTAS, compared to the CRP version of the ankylosing spondylitis disease activity score, or the ASTAS, in patients with, you guessed it, axial ankylosing spondylitis. The authors used data from a twenty, uh, excuse me, a twelve-week double-blind study, followed by a ninety-two-week open extension phase of etanercept in twenty two hundred and fifteen patients with early active axial spondyloarthritis. In the double-blind phase, one hundred and sixty received etanercept and one hundred and nine placebo. Overall. The investigators found a very good correlation using Spearman, Spearman's correlation coefficient between the ASDAS and the SASDAS for the continuous variables at baseline, which was 0.5, during treatment at 12 weeks, 0.9, as similarly at 24 weeks. At baseline, the SASDAS plays 69.9% of the patients in the same disease category as the ASDAS, but overestimated disease activity for 17.8% and underestimated activity in 12.2%. A similar pattern was found throughout the study. The capacity to differentiate between treatments, etanercept, versus placebo followed by etanercept was higher in the ASDAS compared with the SASDAS, but the sensitivity to change was similar. Overall, a very good correlation was found between the SASDAS and the ASDAS when considering continuous variables, while only a moderate to good agreement, was observed for categorical data. In accompanying editorial entitled, Is it Good to Simplify Clinometry in Chronic Inflammatory Joint Disease? DiCarlo and Salafi review the currently used disease measures in patients with seronegative spondyloarthritis and reviews the pros and cons of simplified versions of the disease measures, focusing on the simplified disease activity score as described in the paper by Schneeberger. The third paper to highlight is entitled A Practical Guide for Assessment of Skin Burden in Patients with Psoriatic Arthritis. It is by Cassium and colleagues. Skin disease is an important cause of morbidity 
in patients with psoriatic arthritis. And therefore, the aim of this study was to develop a small set of core questions to help rheumatologists identify patients with psoriatic arthritis with a high skin burden in their daily practice. In order to achieve that, this, the authors gave the SkinDEX 17 and the Dermatology Life Quality Index questionnaires to 433 13 patients from the Dutch Southwest Psoriatic Arthritis Cohort. They then used the principal component analysis to identify two major domains, a psychosocial domain and a domain assessing physical symptoms. The psychosocial domain consisted of three questions that identified four categories of skin burden severity, while the physical symptom domain consists of two questions that categorize patients into one of three categories. The authors concluded that these five questions can be easily administered to, fall, to allow clinicians to assess the skin burden in patients with psoriatic arthritis. In this paper, you find the details on the, how the final questions were decided upon, as well as the questions themselves. You can then determine for yourself if the use of these questions is practical and helpful. Final paper to highlight is entitled, Personally Generated Quality of Life Outcomes in Adults with Juvenile Idiopathic Arthritis and is by Tolleson and colleagues. As the outcome of patients with JIA has been improving, more investigators have begun to explore the outcome of these patients into adult life. One important outcome is quality of life. The aim of this study was to determine how an individualized patient-generated index, or so-called PGI, compared to standardized health-related outcome measures in young adults who were diagnosed during childhood with JIA. 70 patients completed the patient-generated index, as well as standardized measures, which were the Health Assessment Disability Index. The Medical Outcome Study 12, a short form, or so-called SF12, including the physical and mental health-related domains. Brief Pain Inventory Short Form, mm -hmm. Measured Pain Severity and Interference. The Hopkins Symptom Checklist 5, and a Visual Analog Scale for Fatigue. The results from these patients were then matched to 79 age match and sex match controls. The author found that the most frequently identified area for patients were the per, of the personally generated QLL were physical activity, 48% identified this, work or school, 39%, fatigue, 37%, and self-image, 33%. Interesting, the relative importance of each of the individual areas identified specific patient characteristics. 
physical activity was associated with older age, more pain interference, and more and morning stiffness, while fatigue was associated with the current use of disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs. Self-image was associated with polyarticular course and pain interference. They did not find any specific factors associated with work or school. A higher patient-generated index indicating a better quality of life correlated positively with the majority of the SF-12 subscales, as may have been expected compared to controls. Patients had more pain, poor physical health-related quality of life, and less participation in work or school. Please read the article to better understand the value of a patient-generated index and how it can identify other important aspects of quality of life not identified in standardized measures. The lessons learned in this article likely can be applied to all patients with other rheumatic diseases. The image in rheumatology this month describes a 69-year-old man with a seven-year history of RA who presented with progressive pain and loss of function of his right shoulder over a period of one year. MRI showed evidence of a large, large cystic lesion with synovial proliferation, and this was confirmed at surgery. A diagnosis of a geode of the shoulder was made. Geodes are subarticular cystic lesions caused by inflammatory changes of the synovium, which can then go on to destroy cartilage and bone. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast and encourage you to read not only the highlighted articles, but all the articles in the October 2022 edition of the Journal of Rheumatology, either in the print edition or the online edition, which is available at www.jroom.org. And please watch my interviews with authors of the highlighted articles, not only of this month, but of previous months, if you miss them. They are available for viewing at our website and on YouTube. If you have any comments or questions on these highlighted articles or any articles in the Journal of Rheumatology, please send them to manuscripts at jroom.com. And please listen next month to the November edition of Editor's Highlights. I hope everyone stays well.